Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. It's a pleasure to be with you this week. Throughout this month, we've been focusing on Financial Planning Month, and there's been so much going on in Washington you know, with regard to the debt, the budget, and what we also have, which is going on right now, is the fact that we have the Affordable Health Care Act, which is going to impact everyone's finances to some extent, and it is a part of the financial planning that should be taking place in your life. So when you hear about the Affordable Health Care Act, a.k.a. some people call it Obamacare, we're going to be talking about that throughout today's program. Our guest today is an expert in the field of health care, is Erin Brocklow of Benefit Mall. She's one of our corporate partners. So, Erin, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Very good. So, Erin, why don't we just you know start by giving our listeners just a little bit of background on the Affordable Health Care Act or Obamacare so that people know what it means to them, because it really does affect every American in some way, shape, or form. If you don't have coverage, which is, I believe there's, what, 45 million Americans without health care, that as of January of next year, the government's basically saying, we want you to have health care. That's right. So we're going to address that. And for people that do have health care, there may be changes that will be taking place in their plans, or if you're an employer, of how you treat benefits. And so let's highlight some of that for our listeners. So maybe just give us a background on the Affordable Health Care Act and what the intention is of it, and we'll go from there. Okay, great. Um, I think what the intention of the Affordable Care Act is that every American would have access to coverage. They could no longer be rejected for having a pre-existing health condition. Um, They could not be penalized for being older than someone else and paying more. Um, They had to have certain essential benefits covered under their plans. Um, Also, I think that um, Employers are now going to have a lot more responsibility in what they provide to their employees, especially if they're a larger company. And as an individual, there's a lot more options now. Each state came up with ways for people to get insurance that have not been available before. So I think people now are going to have a lot more to evaluate uh, employer coverage versus state coverage and what the costs might be uh, when they really maybe hadn't looked at that before. Very good. So, Erin, just so I understand, too, is and just your perspective on this is, you know, in the financial world, I look at this, it looks like, you know, one of those steps towards a single-payer health care plan. Is that the essence of where you think this may be going? It, it kind of has that feel to it a little bit. Um, some of us in the industry do think that um, they're leaning toward doing that. There certainly haven't been any bills, you know, put forth to go that way, but they were thinking this is potentially the first step. Um, Some people think that it might be set up to fail, and then the only conclusion might be a single-payer system. But um, I also think we think that these rules are going to be into effect for the next several years, and we don't see a single-payer happening um, for a while. And of course, it's going to depend also on the next presidential election to see if, you know, anything is defunded or changed um, or if, you know, a different administration comes in and doesn't lean that way. But uh, we certainly have heard a lot of rumblings that uh, the administration would have gone single payer if they felt it would have gotten enough support. I follow you. So in staying with this now, you know, it you know, it seems like everybody at some point is, you know, going to have the right to get coverage, which is they had the right before. But hopefully it'll be perhaps for some people a little bit more affordable for lower income and so forth. Mm-hmm. So as we go through this a little bit, maybe just highlight 
for an individual, mm -hmm. okay, what's actually taking place. Because you're hearing about what I refer to as the – or not I refer to, but you're hearing about these exchanges. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can just take a few minutes as far as an individual, which is, you know, a year ago or – might have been even a little longer. Time goes so quickly if you mm -hmm. think about it. But they were going back and forth on, okay, you have to get health insurance, and if you don't, you're going to pay a penalty. Right. And then, you know, they had, you know, the government going back and forth and saying you couldn't penalize them. They said, well, it's not a penalty. It's a tax, and right. they can tax you. So we've had all of that going on. So for an individual, the question is, is if you have someone that doesn't have health care today, mm -hmm. okay, do they have to get health care? And if not, what happens? Um Yes, that's called the individual mandate. And starting on January 1st, every American must have insurance either through an employer or through one of these exchanges. Each state has set up an individual exchange either on their own or through the help of the federal government where they can go in, put down how much money they make, um, how many people are in their household, how old they are, et cetera. And there will be several plans available to them. And if they make within um, a certain percentage of the federal poverty level between 133% and 400%, they can get a subsidy from the government to help them pay for that premium. If they still decide that they do not want insurance next year, that's okay, but they will be penalized. And every year the penalty does increase. In 2014, the penalty is the greater of $95 a person with a cap of $285 per family or 1% of their income. So we believe that at tax time in 2015, that's when um, this penalty will come into effect. The IRS will look back to see if they had insurance in 2014, and if they didn't, they'll get hit with that tax the so next effect year. So effectively, the penalty, like they had, you know, when they passed the law, comes in like a tax, which is at year end, which is if you didn't have health insurance through the course of the year, yep. and you made $40,000, your penalty, you say, is 1% you know, of 40, and there's your penalty that you're going to pay the federal government. Right. And then maybe the next year you will take insurance so you don't get penalized you know, right, the year after. Because it right. sounded like from what you just said that that penalty is going to go up each It'll year. It'll go up each year, yes. Very good. And you know, what's interesting is because our listeners, we cover from New, you know, New Jersey, and we also have listeners that are in New York. Mm -hmm. So in New Jersey, as it relates to the exchange, my understanding is New Jersey went and they're going into the federal program. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So what did they do in New York? I'm not as familiar with New York for some of our New York listeners. Uh, in New York, they decided that uh, they wanted to create their own exchange. Um, it's called the New York State of Health. And it's very similar to the exchange in New Jersey where there'll be multiple carriers that are offered, multiple types of plans, multiple costs. But it's really um, the state is uh, controlling everything and running it, whereas in New Jersey and 25 other states, the federal government is running everything. And each carrier in each state, um, which do you know differ, they each insurance carrier could decide if they wanted to participate in the New York or the New Jersey or each state's um, plans and what plans they wanted to offer. So there will be different offerings if you live in New York versus if you live in New Jersey. It's really just sort of who is running that exchange. New York decided to run it on their own, whereas New Jersey left it to the federal government. So as far as the individuals go, so this is someone who just works somewhere and or they don't work. They're going to need to get coverage as of January 1st right. or they will you know, pay some type of a penalty, a.k.a. some type of a tax. Now let's go to step two, which is for some people that don't have health insurance coverage today because they work for a company mm -hmm. okay, and the company might not offer it. I've heard people say, well, now my company is going to have to offer health insurance. 
So does an employer have to offer health insurance now? That's a good question. Um, It depends on the size of the employer. So if the employer has 50 full-time employees or more, and full-time is considered 30 hours a week, according to the law, um, if they have more than that, then there is an employer mandate or a shared responsibility, as they call it, where uh, they did delay it to 2015, but there will be penalties for the employer for not providing insurance that's affordable to their employees. And affordable means it costs more than 9.5% of their annual income for single coverage. But if you're an employer with 50 or fewer employees, there actually is no mandate and there are no penalties. So an employer could choose to eliminate their group-based plan and could uh, send people to these exchanges if they wanted to. There's no penalty. But we do believe that a lot of employers, being that they're not mandated to do this today, that they'll continue to do that because they're generous to their employees and they still want to attract and retain good employees that they'll still give benefits, but there is no penalty for a smaller company to eliminate that coverage. And so you you had an interesting term in what you said, which is affordable care. And you said affordable care is 9.5% of income, but that's a single rate, not a family rate, just for our listeners so that we're very clear on that. That's right. They basically, it's sort of this odd unintended consequence of the law is that they're basing affordability on the cost for the employee only to get their coverage. So they can make a family the right the employee contribution out of their paycheck, right? So an employer can still offer coverage uh, to their you know spouses and their employees and children, but they don't have to make it affordable really to cover those dependents. And if the coverage is affordable to the employee, that actually stops the spouse even from being able to get a subsidy from the exchange. So they might have to end up paying more through their employer plan, but its I don't really think that was the intention of the law, but it's sort of the spouse who maybe isn't working either. They're kind of stuck in the employer plan, which may not be very affordable, but that's really their only option because of that that provision. So let me just summarize what I'm I'm hearing a little bit, which is uh, the number is 9.5% of your income mm-hmm. for, for single rate, right. that if you're paying more than that, you should look at the exchanges, yep. consider the exchanges because you can get some type of a credit back from the government. On the other side of that, there's nothing that says that the employer for 50 and under has to make a contribution or has to even offer benefits. That's right. So when we look at that, you know, it's, you know, the smaller employer doesn't seem like he's getting hurt too much in this plan. They still have flexibility in what they offer. However, the benefits that are offered by private companies versus the exchanges, when we've talked prior, it seemed like the benefits were much better. Yeah, there's a lot more uh, choice outside of these exchanges. The carriers could de- could decide what types of plans they wanted to offer. They could be, you know, sort of very limited plans. They had to at least offer one plan in each of the metallic levels, they're called. There's um, platinum, gold, silver, and bronze levels of benefit. So you had to at least have one standard plan in each of those. But if they didn't want to offer anything else, that was fine. But then outside of the exchange, they could offer multiple networks, many different plans, and they are still doing that. So we do think that for employers, um, small employers, there will be a lot more choice still outside of the exchange. Um, You know, a lot of their employees... One of the big things, actually, is there's no national access to providers inside some of these exchanges. 
So even if everyone lives in New Jersey, maybe you have a college student who's going right. to college in California, there are no national networks. So that person would, even if they're covered, there's no doctors out there in California to help them. But outside of the exchange, there are still plans with national networks. So these are sort of the little things you really have to look at to make sure you're covering everyone in your company. Very good. So now if we take a look now and we go to, say, the larger employers, so if you work for a company that has 50 or more employees, and when we say 50 or more, they also qualify what's full-time and part-time. Right. And part-time does count sort of in a prorated basis to be full-time. So if you have two part-timers working 15 hours a week, that equals one full-timer, technically. And the definition of full-time, though, is 30 hours. That's right. So maybe take a minute and explain what happens with larger employers, which are the 50-plus. Okay, so for a large employer, um, in the law, they did uh, include an employer mandate with penalties, but back in July of this year, they did say that that was now going to be delayed until 2015. However, once that happens, a large employer will have to give everyone that affordable coverage we talked about that um, doesn't cost anybody any more than 9.5% of their income, If they fail to offer affordable coverage and someone goes into the exchange, the employer will be penalized $3,000 for each employee who goes into the exchange. If they don't offer anything to their people as a large employer, they will actually be penalized $2,000 for every employee for the year. So there are definitely some big penalties and big choices to make for larger employers starting in 2015. Now, what's interesting is uh, prior to our coming on the air, you know, we were talking a little bit about this and that charge for an employer, because some employers might go, well, well, that's a good deal. That's cheaper than the three or $4,000 that I'm paying now. But that $2,000 is not deductible from what you had indicated. That's correct. It's not tax deductible. That's exactly right. And it goes also back to what we said, that they're not mandated today to provide benefits, but they still do. And most employers, a lot of employers, pay a decent portion of that premium for their people as well. And it's our belief that that will continue. Um, It's just that costs are becoming very high and employers will have to make some hard choices about who they're offering it to and what penalties, you know, they might even choose to pay. Very interesting. And then also as it relates to, you know, when people come to work for a company or if you are an employer and you hire new people, um, notifications are also a little bit different from what it sounds like, which it sounded like from what, you know, I've been reading and so forth and what, you know, we've spoken about is you have to notify people fairly quickly. Maybe just a little review on that as well. Yeah, I mean, the HR burden is definitely greater under this law as well. There's a lot of different things they have to provide. Um, There's something called the Employer Exchange Notice. Uh, It was just sent out to all employees by October 1st, but now every new hire needs to get that just to give everyone the idea of what the employer offers as far as insurance. And here's where you can go for more information on the exchange. There are summaries that are now mandated, benefit summaries. So as soon as you are enrolled in the plan or at every open enrollment, the employer has to provide these summaries to every enrolled person or they could be penalized if they were ever audited. There are rebates that come back from certain carriers um, for the medical loss ratio provision. Employers are uh, required to pay some of that back in many cases to their employees. So there really there are a lot of different things now that employers have to be constantly paying attention to. So they're not, you know, audited and get in trouble for this. A lot more documentation and letters that need to go out on certain dates during the year. Very good. So it sounds like the old days of, you know, you could put a health insurance plan in place 
it kind of drives itself. Right. It doesn't sound like that's the case anymore. It's- that's right. Yeah. And I think the administration would say, you know, that that worked for a while, but it really didn't get enough people covered. A lot of people are without insurance. A lot of people aren't getting the right information. So this was their idea to make these things happen, get people covered, you know, don't exclude anybody for certain conditions and make sure that, you know, there are penalties now for employers who don't give out that information. So this will hopefully make sure that everyone is educated properly on the different plans and offerings because of these provisions in the law. Very good. For all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Angelos. And our guest today, again, Erin Brocklaw of Benefit Mall, one of our corporate partners. If you have questions, you can write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, 08736, or email us at info at ifrw.com. And for all of our listeners, you know, Psalms 11.1 tells us, you know, to put your trust in the Lord. We wish all of you a truly blessed week, and we look forward to being with you next week. Thank you, and have a great week.